Okay, everyone, uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Sorry we're a bit behind schedule, but we'll try to uh, catch up so we end this promptly at 2.30 and everyone can go on to the next. Um, my name is Erica Greeter. I'm the Southwest correspondent for The Economist. And on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I'm very happy to welcome you to the Texas Tribune Festival uh, and to this panel, which is uh, about the DREAM Act, and it's called Is the President Right About the DREAM Act? So we have here four panelists, two from each side of the aisle. Um, to my, from left to right, we have uh, Joaquin Castro, a state representative from San Antonio running for Congress this year. State Representative Raul Torres from Corpus Christi running for State Senate this year. State Representative Anna Hernandez Luna from East Harris County running for re-election this year and also a new mom. And at the very end, Joshua Trevino, who is the founder of Red State, formerly with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and a longtime conservative activist despite not being in the legislature. So thank you all for joining me today. Um, oh, one last bit of housekeeping. Um, you're not supposed to use your phones unless you're tweeting, in which case you really should use your phones. Uh, the hashtag you want to use is TribuneFest, and uh, please uh, join the conversation that way if you feel so inclined. We'll do about 40 minutes of moderated talk up here, and then we'll go to audience Q&A for about 20 minutes. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys know when, but there's mics on both sides. Um, so you can, can line up there, and I'll try to make sure I get to everyone's questions. Um, great, so I think we can start with um, the question in the title of the panel, which is, is the president right about the DREAM Act? Joaquin, what do you say? Sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think the ex executive order was the right thing to do. Uh, I think he did the right thing morally, and both morally and politically. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of students in our country who were brought to the United States by no fault of their own who literally are morally blameless, uh, and the president found a way to allow them to essentially stay here without being deported, and at the same time, allow them work permits. Uh, I think both of those things are good, not only for that group of folks, but also for the nation. Great. Um, Representative Torres, do you agree with the absolutely? Only in part. <laughs> America has always found itself often on the wrong side of a, a very important issue. Since our inception with slavery and then in the 60s, the civil rights issues. But America has always found a way to make things right in time. Today, as, as uh, Representative Castro said, we have a group of, of individuals who throughout no fault of their own have found themselves in a place and they want to call themselves Americans as much as every one of us, but they can't. That's not right. And America will find a way to make it right. Because we are America, and the world looks to us for good. But the way the president did it is not right. It's not right in many different ways. Number one, it was not right because of the timing of the issue. He had two years with a full control of the House and Senate to do what he promised to do, was to put forth an immigration reform bill. He did not do that. So why now? Why today, at the day that he did that? I think that, that question deserves an answer, an honest answer. Many say he did it for politically expedient purposes. And we have to hand it, the president is a very good politician. But this issue here is not about politics. It's about human beings. It's about an issue that, that needs fixing. And the way he did it, I do not agree with. Also don't agree with it, because for many Americans, he violated our constitutional procedures we have in place. And that's not right. No one individual should absurd the, the authority of Congress and the laws that we have. I think we can find the right way. I think America has always found the right way to fix things, and we must find a right way. His particular DREAM Act leaves out millions of other individuals who want as much as the group that he's set aside to be Americans. For example, it does not include the small business owner, the individual who now because of the situation meets some of the criteria, but because they either did not go have military service or decided not to pursue a higher education degree, 
they don't meet the definition. How about them? How about those individuals who have worked hard to build up a small business, employ other Americans, and provide their families a quality life? That's not fair. Those, these types of individuals like that, that were not included, deserve as much justice as anyone else. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I think we can agree on that. And because of that, I don't agree again. Let's make, a, let's make a dream act that is not only morally right, but treats everyone with the dignity that they deserve. Everyone who has paid their dues, who is willing to walk the American way of life and to be called an American. I think that's the right way to go. Let's find a dream act that fits into the mold of our constitutional responsibilities and, and laws so that we as America, all of America, can embrace it. The president's bill divides us. The president's bill discriminates, or in other words, makes winners and losers out of some people and not others. The president law is not right. And because of that, I don't agree with it. We can do better, and we must do better. OK, an alternative take. And uh, next up. Yes, I think, is my microphone on? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, the DREAM Act has languished in Congress for the past 11 years. They, uh, they had an opportunity to vote on it two years ago, and they voted it down. So I think this is the right thing for the president to do, to provide an opportunity for hundreds of thousands of young immigrants that were brought here by no fault of their own, with whom I share a personal story, being brought here as a baby and being undocumented for eight years. These are children that have grown up in our communities, attended our schools, have graduated as valedictorians, salutedictorians, are on to college but cannot work because of their legal status. And so this is, a, I think, the right thing to do to allow these individuals to give back to our country, for us to utilize their skills to expand our income tax base. And although it's not ideal that it was done under an executive order, I think it's in the right direction and that we continue on with comprehensive immigration reform, which is what we need. Okay, great. And Joshua? All right, well, y'all, I guess my mic is on. <laughs> y'all will notice that I am on the extreme right and uh, also <laughs> completely unelectable, so I think I can speak on this with, uh, without a lot of the encumbrances that others might face. Look, when we ask whether the president was right about the DREAM Act, uh, there's actually several questions contained within that. Uh, whether the president was politically right and politically smart to do what he did earlier this year, issued the executive order that he did, uh, I don't think there's any question, there's no real dispute, that that was a net positive for Barack Obama and his quest for re-election. Polling's good on it, it's a net positive for him. The only people who reacted negatively to it are, gonna, are, are groups that weren't voting for him in any case. So politics, no debate, it was a smart move. Uh, where the president uh, really went wrong is in, in my view, is in the method, and this has been addressed here previously in the past 10 minutes, is in the method in which he chose to implement uh, the policy. Uh, the DREAM Act has been around as a legislative proposal, as the representative noted, for the past 11 years. I believe it was first introduced in 2001 by Orrin Hatch and I believe Dick Durbin from Illinois. Uh, and it's been bouncing around in various forms in the intervening decade. Never has passed, obviously, and so it's still a live issue. Uh, but that's the proper way to make this kind of policy. You need to make policy and you need to make law uh, based upon principles of democratic legitimacy, which in the case of the federal government means going through the Congress. Uh, whether or not we agree with the contents of the DREAM Act, and I do agree with some of it, I disagree with other parts, and I think we'll get into that uh, as Erica leads us further down this path. Uh, the fact of the matter is that something so profound as the question of who is an American and who lives here, who is permanent residence among us, is something that needs to be addressed by the people assembled in Congress. And an executive order that essentially, uh, well, that essentially that does emanate from the man charged by the Constitution with executing and enforcing the laws of the United States, declaring that he's not going to do that in this particular sphere, is a very dangerous path to go down. Uh, so while we can, and I suspect we will, uh, Erica, debate the merits of the DREAM Act itself, uh, the bottom line is that what the President did sets a very dangerous precedent, uh, and it's not a wise way to implement this policy. Okay, great. So I think, as, uh, as Joshua says, there is two ways to look at this question, at least. Um, the political question. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm ignoring you guys, but you can hear me, all right? Okay. Um, if not, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, there's the political side of it, and there's the substantive side of it. Um, let's start with the political side of it. Um, both of you uh, 
on the, on the Republican side say that this is not the correct way to go about this sort of policy. However, this act has been before Congress continuously for more than a decade. Last time around, it was passed through the House and uh, mm -hmm. voted down in the Senate, I think 55 to 41, right. which uh, would be an example of the strong-arming tactics that we've seen quite a bit of in the past few years from the Republicans in the Senate. Um, so it seems like that was attempted, at least, in the first few years of the administration. Didn't get through. How would you respond to? That's, that's, that's the system working. I mean, if it doesn't pass Congress, it doesn't pass Congress. It, I mean, the, the, the fact that Congress doesn't pass a law that you want isn't evidence that Congress is broken. Congress is supposed to stop policy that doesn't have legitimacy mm -hmm. in the eyes of, 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 again, of the people who sent them as representatives to the Congress. So the, so the solution, if Congress isn't passing a policy that you want, and this is true for those of us left, right, and center, is to elect different congressmen. And uh, that's you know, something that we get a chance to do every two years. And in the case of the Senate, uh, well, we get to elect new senators every two years as well. Um, so I don't, I, I don't buy the argument that, well, it's been stalled for over a decade and therefore we need alternative avenues. Uh, that's, not, that's not how the constitutional system works, uh, whatever side you're on. But you're okay with the new standard that in order to pass a law through Congress you need 60 votes in the Senate rather than well, 50 look, or 51? Look, the, 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 Senate, the Senate canon does uh, set its own rules, and these are the rules under which the Senate operates. But again, the, the, the remedy is the same. Uh, if you don't like the rules under which the Senate operates, and if you want senators who believe it should be a simple majoritarian body and not, as Jefferson said, the saucer into which policy is poured, I'm paraphrasing, I don't think he said policy, in order to cool it down. I mean, if you seriously, but if you disagree with Thomas Jefferson on what the Senate is supposed to do, then you and all of us are free to elect different senators who will change the rules of the Senate and get that through. But you know what? There's no constituency for that because as soon as anybody gets in the Senate, they suddenly realize that it's awesome to have that power, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. And so that's, that's just not going to happen. Well, of course, we can all be happy that they are happy in the Senate. And Erica, the, another issue that, that uh, is very clear from, from that vote is that it is not the best bill out there. There were enough people out there who, who found a problem with it. And, and if we truly are committed to doing the right thing, and I believe America's soul is doing it the right way, is that we have to continue to forge together this bipartisan support. We keep talking about that they don't seem to find their way in Washington, and we have it in Texas in many cases, is to find the right plan, the right bill. Like I cited in my earlier comments, we can do better. We can make it better. Let's come to the table, and I believe we will if we're willing to do that and not play politics. Yeah, and I would just point out, I think that you know, what Joshua says is right. Uh, if there is a legislative process that the filibuster can be used, it's been used more often during Barack Obama's presidency than at any other time in history by far. Uh, so that's fair. I think it's part of the legislative process. But then you shouldn't take the make the political argument after blocking it that way. Republicans shouldn't try to benefit from the political argument that Democrats and the president are doing nothing. I think that's a specious argument. Um, but Republicans are, I hate to be cast in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the vein of the Republican apologist. Uh, my, my views on Mitt are well known. The, uh, the president has done things vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Hispanic community. And, we did, and, and I think it's important to be honest here. The, the, you know, what the president did was, was an electoral gambit. I mean, uh, Representative Torres is completely correct that when you look at the, the, the president's Proceeding policies, and I'll, and I'll talk about Hispanics and Latinos nationally sure. in general because I think that's that's I think undeniably what this is really about in terms of the political calculation here. Uh, you know, the president has presided over more, and, and and again, I'm not casting a value judgment on this argument because I think uh, the president's actually done a lot of good things on, on on the border issues, which will again make me unelectable with fellow Republicans. Uh, but but you know, he's presided over more deportations than any other president in history. Uh, he has presided over an economy, and, and uh, this is a different argument, but, uh, but whether you agree that he's responsible for it or not, he's presided over an economy that uh, you know, right now has resulted in a disproportionate number of Hispanic unemployed. I believe it's 10.2%. Uh, and if you look at the U6 measure, it's coming up to one in five Hispanics who are unemployed under the president's economy. So the objective measures of what's good for Hispanics, uh, which is different from what appeals to Hispanics electorally, uh, is not really in the president's favor. And I think that's, that's, that's kind of the argument that the Republicans are making Albeit completely ineffectually, but, uh, but that's the argument that they're making on the national stage. And so uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that Republicans are blocking a policy and then pointing fingers and, and, and arguing that, well, this president hasn't done anything. He's done a lot of things. I mean, they just, they've been all bad from our perspective. I think that, that raises the political question for, for Democrats, which is that uh, this, this was announced just a few weeks uh, after the gay marriage announcement, which is also a very crowd-pleasing announcement from the president. Um, as, as they said at the time, this is June um, 2012, 
The campaign's already in full swing. It's very important to shore up the youth vote and the Hispanic vote for Barack Obama's reelect campaign. Um, and as they said, what happened with this uh, announcement, this executive action, was just uh, that they would not uh, choose to deport this group. They were using discretion they already had. So they were making that official after having deported quite a few people uh, in the first few years of the administration. So given those uh, circumstantial factors, does it seem like pandering? Does it matter if it's pandering? Well, I mean, I guess you could see, I mean, anything that the president does on an election year would seem, you know, it was for political purposes, but, I mean, this is a real issue that affects millions of families. Mm -hmm. And for these students, I mean, they, they couldn't wait any longer. I mean, they're waiting, they have their degrees, they're waiting to work, and this is gonna give them a work permit. Of course, we want comprehensive immigration reform, but I don't think that Republicans should be allowed to say he didn't go far enough when they've even blocked the opportunity that they had to vote for the DREAM Act. But the, 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 but, but the population, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm, not, I'm actually not entirely sure uh, of, of the stats here, but my understanding is that the population that the DREAM Act covers, which is essentially military personnel and students, mm -hmm. aren't really the populations that are under threat of, uh, under active threat, although there are isolated they're, cases, but they're not, they're, they're not under active threat of deportation uh, to begin with. I mean, the, the, the people who end up getting deported are either people who are caught crossing the border, are there people who have managed to intersect with law enforcement in some other ways, for example, a workplace raid or something like that? And so th th that's the population, which, by the way, the DREAM Act doesn't address at all, uh, but that's the population that's really under deportation threat. So I'm not sure it's accurate to say that you've got a lot of people uh, with four-year degrees or who in colleges uh, who are part of the system at large in any case. Um, I think it's a very minuscule number, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a very minuscule number of people who are actually under active threat. So I'm not sure that the they can't wait any longer argument uh, actually addresses the reality on the ground. The people who can't wait any longer under that rubric are the, the laborers and the people who work with their hands and the folks who actually are out there participating in the economy as entrepreneurs or workers or, 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 or employees. And uh, the DREAM Act doesn't address them at all. And so in that light, uh, I think it's very difficult to look at what the president did as anything but uh, a political gambit. Again, a smart one, but nevertheless. No, I agree with you, yes. Yeah. The, the, the rest of the population needs comprehensive immigration reform as well. But if you ask the young students, some of that are here, University of Texas students, mm -hmm. it is a threat. When they don't have a driver's license, they can't drive to and from school, they can't go out of town for high school, high school trips. That's a big threat to them, well, that they cannot leave to go on their band trip or go on their you know, debate trip because they can't board a plane. They don't have documentation to well, board I mean, a plane. When, well. you don't have, when you don't have legal status, I mean, you're, you're essentially writ large kind of having to be aware of the possibility that you can be deported. In fact, there are traffic stops, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, that have led to people being essentially taken in and threatened with deportation. But, but he's talking about the bigger numbers are, are those that he cited. They're not in the general population. Yeah. The students are not being picked up on school campus. They're not being picked up walking home. Well, that, sure. I, I mean, mean, if you mean that's that, not where the numbers are at. And, and, and it's that, not. That I mean, we talk about traffic stops. Workplaces are rated, and, okay, and universities right. are not. Sure, okay. you know, but everybody's driving the streets. Everybody's out in public, but, and so but, there's a, a but risk. But the real there. issue goes back to the beginning part of the discussion. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that small business owners or entrepreneurs and those career technology or jobs skilled workers, carpenters and plumbers and construction, do you think that they, sh they shouldn't have a right to be part of this DREAM Act? Oh, well, I, I think they should have comprehensive immigration reform, and we also know that but, Republicans have blocked that at every step but, of the way. But, but just so, on the DREAM Act, do you, well, do you agree that that language should be added to it? Well, I mean, the DREAM Act is legislation aimed at essentially people that are of student age, right? Well, so should I we know, add laborers and should we? Uh, absolutely. You think, you think, but, you think but, so? Okay. But you're in a party that is now, absolutely against that. Now, now, if you just said, yes, I do. <laughs> What, what, what they're against that is the, is, the, is the the bill doesn't go far enough to do the right thing to do the most good. So, but, so, so let's add those people in there, and I think you might find a, a different tone among other people. I mean, I think I, I disagree. Think so. I think the, the, right. the, the issue that Republicans have, particularly Republican primary voters, is not that the DREAM Act doesn't go far enough and they want to be more inclusive and have more folks have relief. <laughs> you know, that, that's so. never been there. The, the fact of the matter is, listen. That, that I hope, look, if you get elected, no, and you and I had a good relationship in yes, the legislature, right? And if I get, if you if you get elected to the state senate, then I hope that you will take that into the Republican Party and stand up for it. You know, I don't know how much support you'll find, but I hope that you will stand on the, on the well, Senate floor and make that case. I will. Absolutely. Thank you. It's the right thing. <laughs> the right thing. I'm, I'm sorry to. Um, 
it's, it's almost as if the Democrats didn't control Congress and the presidency for quite some time. It's, uh, it's amazing how we forget. And the bottom line, the president can't run away from the two years he had. I mean, he had the opportunity. He, he not only did not put it, he didn't even put an idea out there for comprehensive immigration reform. He failed at his promise. He can't run away from that. Okay, so you, you had actually, in your initial comments, talked about a broader approach to this and a broader concept of paying one's dues. I think part of the discussion you two are having is that uh, this, this suspension of deportations for the people who are eligible for the DREAM Act, in theory, uh, is, is looking at them because they are the people who are young enough that they haven't lived elsewhere, don't speak other languages, and so on. Um, so how, how would you construe the category of people who have paid their dues? Is it a matter of owning a business, having been here for a certain duration of time? What do you think is, is the, how broadly would you draw this category that would be included in a more I, ideal DREAM Act? Me personally, I think that's open to debate to what the, the people of America want. And I know I personally have talked to people, they would like to be included into that group. And, and currently under the, the, the proposed uh, DREAM Act from the president, it doesn't include them. And so that's why I'm bringing this part of the conversation here, is so that we can do a better job. We don't have to go with the president's bill. But he hasn't proposed immigration reform. He had a great opportunity at the beginning of this year to put it out there for, for the Congress to deal with. But he didn't. I'm, I'm not America sure. wants immigration reform. America does. But nobody is out there leading that charge. And to me, it should be the president's job to do that. I, I, I'll actually have to, and I'm sorry, did I interrupt? No, no, no. Okay. okay. I, I'll actually have to slightly dissent from, from, from you on this representative. Uh, I, I'm not sure that all of America does want comprehensive, comprehensive immigration reform. I think that there are several parties uh, on both sides, uh, but one more prevalent than the other that actually benefits from the status quo. And I would argue, uh, with all respect to you know, our, our Democratic friends and friends on the left here on the panel, uh, that, uh, that the status quo actually massively benefits uh, the left and the Democratic Party in general. It's important to remember that the reason that we shut down the guest worker program in the 1960s, the El Bracero program, which by the way, I'm well aware was ripe with abuse and ripe with, it was by far not a perfect program. But the reason that it was shut down, the reason that we ended up uh, with the closed border system, de facto closed border system that we have now, at least from a legal standpoint, was because of pressure from left-wing unions, such as the United Farm Workers back in the day. Now, there were lots of factors going into this, but the fact of the matter is that that was the genesis of the modern illegal immigration problem. And when you had that, moving forward a generation, you do have a situation where if you're a Democrat and you're on the left, there is great political benefit to the status quo. So the impetus, and I think this actually showed through when the president actually did have control of the national agenda and a cooperative Congress in the first two years of his presidency, there's no incentive on the Democratic left side to, to change the system because it delivers to you a very reliable constituency. It delivers to you a source of grievance that as we've seen in the past few months can be manipulated in election year successfully. By the way, on the right, well, I mean, we're Republicans, so we find ways to lose, so I need to say nothing more about that. But look, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I don't think the impetus is strong. I don't think that there's a national consensus for immigration reform. Everybody says that they want it, but there's enough constituencies and there's enough people who benefit from it uh, that keep the system in place. And look, the system is in place because of that right now, and that's what needs to change. Until those incentives change, nothing else will. You, you know, I've heard kind of a similar argument. Well, first, I disagree. Uh, I've heard a similar argument made about folks who are pro-life and don't really want that to come to pass because they want to keep making the argument about you know, Roe versus Wade. And I don't agree with that. I think you know, the pro-life folks would like to see the law change. Uh, I think both Anna and I and other Democrats uh, would be happy to stop arguing about this if comprehensive immigration reform was passed. Well, but then this begs the question of why didn't anything happen when that was possible from 09 through 11? I mean, I think there's no question that, that the President and the Congress, you know, of course, the first two years of his presidency, he had a Democratic Congress. Indeed. Um, took on very ambitious issues, yes, including health care, which yes, took up did. a lot of space. Uh, and so that took up a lot of time and a lot of energy. Uh, and I do think that in his second term, you'll see a full-fledged push for comprehensive immigration reform. Now, they did go after the DREAM Act. It's the only time in history that the DREAM Act has passed in the House of Representatives Nancy Pelosi actually passed it. Mm -hmm. It failed in the Senate, right? Yes, right? It actually got a majority. We know it got 55 votes. Uh, there were Democrats that didn't vote for it, uh, but as, as far as I understand, no Republican voted for it. But, 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 but right? as you know, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but as you know, the president did not expend significant capital on that. 
when that when that went through the Senate. I mean, it was not there was not a White House push to make it a priority. And and, and what you're saying, I mean, and I agree with you by the way, that there were other priorities that came far ahead of it. And there were other things to spend political capital on, which is which is my point. That 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 this is not an agenda topper. And I would be surprised if it was in second term. Oh, I think it will be. I think uh, I think both Democrats and Republicans expect that it will be. And I think after this election, it most certainly will be. So my question is, is, is this, what's the, if you're, if you're a Democratic strategist, if you're, if you're Axelrod or Messina, uh, and you're sure. already getting, so the, so the target population, I don't fully agree with this premise, but I think there's a lot of people who think this way. If, if, if the idea behind immigration reform is to get the Hispanic vote, which everybody acknowledges is going to be big, and once Hispanics start voting in proportion to their numbers, it's gonna be a huge factor, whenever that is. Uh, if you're already getting between 70 and 80% of that vote anyway in national elections, What's the incentive to change, uh, to, to, to get the extra 15? I mean, I, I think yeah. there's people in politics that want to do the right thing, <laughs> and they, they believe in it. You know? Well, <laughs> oh, you all are going to be so disappointed. That's true. Back to talking about the Latino community, I mean, it's not just immigration that's important. I mean, we're concerned about our economy, we're concerned mm. about health care. So those are important issues as sure. well. We can't yeah. say that our, our president just wasted the first couple of years on those issues. Those are important to the Latino community, as is immigration. Well, I, I you can't would, tackle them all at the same time. Well, and, and, and what were the outcomes from that? I mean, again, 10.2% unemployment, one out of five Hispanics measured by U6. But you just talked about his popularity rate among well, the Well, no, 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 I am, but I'm saying the, the objective measure is that it's failed policy. Well, the alternative hypothesis is that uh, it was a democratic goal, but in the past few years, it was not a priority because immigration basically stopped after the downturn. Um, so the population of unauthorized immigrants who would have benefited from a reform held steady, even slightly declined, which would also imply that it's not going to be a priority in the next term. That, that, but that, that's, so, so you're right about that, and that's all, and I'm glad you brought that up, but you know, that, that data has only become uh, apparent in the public in the past year, and I forget exactly what month it came out, but, but you're entirely right. Like, net migration from Mexico right now is, is at roughly zero, because, I mean, I mean let's face it, I mean, the, the, the Obama economy has solved the immigration problem. If you crash the national economy, then with the U.S. at 8.2% unemployment, Mexico at 5.4, at least in July, I don't know what the August numbers are, uh, there's not going to be a lot of push forward to go north. And we're done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Any questions? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, by the same token, though, you, you mentioned that uh, Democrats currently command uh, 70 to 80 percent of Hispanic vote. I think that's just in response to Romney. Uh, nobody's ever posted such historically bad numbers, I don't think, with um, well, Hispanics as I'm, Mitt I'm, I'm not going to argue that well, Mitt Romney is fantastic, but. Uh, he, he does reflect the party that nominated him. But it yeah. seems like it's not a response to immigration, it's a response to Mitt Romney. Sure, the president won 73% uh, of the Hispanic vote in, in 2008, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, nobody's gotten 80, for example. Uh, that's very high. Um, yeah, this year, I, I think it'll be probably close to what it was in, in 2008. Which I think you're, maybe... You're a pessimist. Yeah. <laughs> really? Uh, okay. I mean, All right. those are high numbers, you know? I mean, that's, that's an extremely high number. But to your point about about trying to win over kind of what I would consider kind of a cynical argument about winning over the Hispanic vote, mm -hmm. uh, or at least a political one, right, that sure. there's no other kind of reason to do it, is that Hispanics have been voting Democratic even before this was a hot issue, in 92 for Clinton, in 96 for Clinton, when this issue really was, you know, was nowhere on the landscape. That's uh, true. So, That's yeah, true. I, don't, I don't think that it's kind of a Johnny-come-lately thing for them. Uh, well, no, no, but nobody's arguing that, that Hispanic Democrats are a Johnny Come Lately thing. I mean, I mean, you're right. That's the historical norm. Uh, sure. But 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 it it did. I mean, look at George W. Bush's totals among Hispanics. Sure. Which, well, and he was for comprehensive immigration. Well, 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 you're right about that. Yeah. So so I mean, I'm not arguing that policy doesn't matter because policy does matter. And immigration policy is a significant signifier among Hispanic voters. I mean, there's no the, the, there's no dispute about that. Um, uh, I'm I'm interested though that you think that the that the 2008 total is, or the, the, the 2012 total is going to be about the same as the 2008 total because now. I can go tell my friends that I hope Joaquin Castro is dead right. <laughs> well, I think also, I think if the president does that well, I think you know, if he does that well with Hispanics, I think it, it portends good things for him in the national election. Sure. I, I tend to agree on the numbers. Yeah. I mean, by, the, by his own admission, Mitt Romney, I mean, the internal campaign, has said that they need to hit about the 35% mark, right? So if they only get 27, they're well, behind. Uh, yeah, and that, and that strikes me as unlikely, but we'll see. Uh, back to the uh, substance of the DREAM Act in particular, I, I was going to see what the Democrats in the panel think about the question of uh, opportunity costs. It seems like this, uh, this announcement is not a law, it's not permanent, it doesn't provide a path to citizenship, it actually does not achieve any of the goals of the DREAM Act in that sense, uh, apart from the temporary uh, pressure uh, release. 
do you think that it therefore is, is just pushing back an issue that needs to be dealt with, uh, given the urgency that you cited right, and so on? Right, it's a temporary, it's a temporary uh, measure. It's only deferring deportations and giving a work authorization permit for two years that's renewable. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not anything permanent, and it's not uh, a visa or legal permanent residence. And so it could be, I mean, if, if Romney wins, it's just gonna all go away. Well, and I also think that, um, you know, it was the only tool in the president's toolbox that was left. You've got an intransigent Congress that's not gonna pass immigration reform. Uh, and I think everybody expects that this issue will be taken up in full force in a second administration. Uh, and, and if Mitt Romney is elected, and you know, I, I don't think he will be, uh, but if Mitt Romney is elected, uh, I still think that it'll be a burning issue. I still think that it'll be a, a big issue that will demand attention. Okay, great. Um, we can start taking questions from the audience uh, in, in just a minute or two if people would like to come forward. I got one. Sure, I'll go there since I'm pointing this way. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, thank you, uh, representatives, for all your work. This is I'm Luis Figueroa with Malda. As a question about um, Congress's future, we know that Congressman Lamar Smith, who is chair of the Judiciary Committee, is being termed out in this next um, next cycle. Um, so it might provide some more opportunities for uh, immigration reform in the next legislative session. I was wondering if you all could talk about what those opportunities may be and whether um, Lamar Smith's terming out provides some more opportunity for immigration reform. Well, I don't know Lamar a little the, better. I don't know Lamar very well, I'm sorry. So but the only thing I could comment on that issue, with, based on my limited experience with that issue uh, with him, is that anytime you have a change of leadership uh, in, a, in a committee, you, you may have a, a different take on the whole issue. So it's a, it's a wait and see for me. Let's stay there since I'm still moving in this direction. Um, I have a question. Uh, what advice would you give me? Because if your son calls you three months ago, and you know you find out that his girlfriend's pregnant, and then he's talking, and he says, "Oh, by the way, she's undocumented." And I never knew. I never knew at all. I mean, should should I tell her to sign up or not? Because this is a real issue for me. It's not whatever, whatever. You know, because she's about to have the boy, her child, even Anthony, by the way. <laughs> uh, she's she's going to have a child November, December, and. You know, I don't know what advice, whether to get her an immigration attorney or not, because she loves my boy and, you know, I don't know what to do. I mean, because this is, I mean, she's, she's eligible for the DREAM Act. I mean, she finished high school, she wants to go to college and everything else. She's a really smart girl. But what would you, what counsel would you, would you tell her to wait till the, till the election is over or what? I mean, because this is her life. This is not some sort of. I mean, that has Whatever. been one of the big concerns among folks is, you know, folks wondering whether their records are going to be kept and yeah. what, if the policy lapses, whether they're going to be sought. Uh, but we've got no indications of that. I would encourage you to apply. You know, it's my understanding that there have been 70-something thousand folks who have applied. Uh, and, you know, I think this is relief for them that can be very helpful. And I, I would encourage you to. So, uh, and, and if I could weigh in on this, I mean, first of all, congratulations. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's actually marvelous news. So, so but, uh, I mean, Legal, legal uh, questions aside, uh, the, the first thing is, is, is that, that your, your grandchild is going to be an American citizen, uh, regardless of, of anything else. And so my understanding, and I'm by far not a legal expert, so you know, correct me if, if any of you on the panel know I'm wrong, uh, but, but as a consequence, your child's going to be an American citizen with right to residency in the United States. And so that, even, even absent the president's uh, uh, decision, uh, I strongly suspect that, that the child and the mother would have the right to, to stay in the United States into some kind of compassionate uh, program. That being said, uh, there's usually, and don't take my word for this, talk to somebody who is more authoritative, but, there, but, but there's usually, it's usually a better idea to get within the framework of the law, and especially now that this exists, given the situation, uh, you know, from a standpoint of self-interest, I would, I, would, I would recommend doing it. But, but really, congratulations on, on your grandchild. That's wonderful news. Yeah. Um, but you you'd also had said before, um, downstairs, Josh, that you think that because of this announcement... I thought that was off the record. It was the smartest thing you said all day. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's such a low bar, depending on the day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, first, I just want to thank the panel for having a really frank discussion rather than just a partisan, sure. rather rankish debate. It's the first one I've seen today, so thank you all for that. But my question is, uh, what is the TDP doing to get a prominent candidate for the 2014 Senate election to replace John Cornyn's vote against the DREAM Act 
with someone for the DREAM Act? And what are especially Latino Republicans doing to either change minds within the party to a comprehensive solution or to replace John Cornyn with somebody who will? Uh, first you, and then I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, the Texas Democratic Party, uh, we are the state that has now gone the longest without electing a Democrat statewide. Uh, it, it has been since 1994 that a Democrat has been elected in Texas. And so there, quite honestly, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built in this state uh, in order to elect Democrats statewide. Uh, we've had great successes on, on the local level. And we almost took back the House of Representatives. 2010 was supposed to be our year to take it back. And you know, of course, we got hit by the wave. Uh, but I do see a bright, <laughs> Thank despite you to your that, president, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, despite that, I do see a bright future for us, uh, for Democrats in Texas. There are many of us who have gotten together and who are working on building out that infrastructure to allow for success for Democrats statewide. And you know, 2014, of course, is a short time away, but I do see the day in the not too distant future where this state will cast its 38 electoral votes or whatever it is at the time for a Democrat for president. I think we'll get there. So Joaquin, just to follow up, if you had to bet $5, 2014, is that the year or not the Democrats get a statewide office? I hope so. Uh, I, look, I hope it's this year. Five dollars. Uh, you know, but, but I want to be realistic also. It takes a lot of hard work. You have to get into the grassroots, register folks, mobilize folks, uh, and we need a stronger effort than we have right now. So my, my window is a little bit longer than that in terms of where I see it. Okay, and then back to the question about well, from what I've read about your brother, I think maybe he should consider running for statewide. <laughs> maybe he will. Maybe he will. <laughs> My uh, brother's not running. <laughs> I thought he's you would be, be the mayor. first to announce it here. No, no, okay. he's going to be mayor. Based, based on the Republican Party, it's, it, it's a Latino Republican. Uh, we took a step in the right direction. We've heard that phrase this morning about uh, the Texas solution that was presented during the uh, convention. It's a step in the right direction, nowhere near what, what the direction I believe it has to go. And if the Republican Party isn't sensitive to these issues, and if, the, and if we as a group are not attentive to finding comprehensive, bipartisan solutions, we will cease to be a red state. And that's why I'm working to, to help my fellow brethren better understand these issues, because I've lived them, and to better understand what's at stake, and to take action now rather than later. Can we, can we just add to that, though? We've been hearing that said for 10 years. Um, and it seems like, at the national level at least, the Republican base is only going farther to the right. Um, the logic is crystal clear. It's been said ad nauseum in public, but nobody's uh, picking up on it yet nationally. So why is that going to change now? Or what's different this time? I can't answer the, the answer, the question on a national level, but I can tell you that uh, I feel that there's a change, at least in my, in my district, on this issue, and it's moving more to the middle. Can I, sure. if I can weigh in, and I'm not cutting you off. Am I? It's okay, no, you're fine. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, what's happening with the national Republicans and what's happening with the Texas Republicans and also with other of the border state Republicans, New Mexico in particular, uh, are, are, are two very different things. And uh, so, so, so you're right, Erica, that, that the national GOP has definitely moved in a certain direction. But what's happening uh, in the Texas Republican Party, uh, I think, is, is, is quite different. And so the question is going to be whether that's going to continue or whether national party trends are going to swamp the state of Texas, which is by no means a sure thing. Uh, but when you look at you know, people like Representative Torres, uh, Aliceda, Lozano flipping, Aaron Pena flipping, uh, uh, you know, Congressman Canseco uh, winning in the back. There you are, sir. There's Thanks Aaron for, back there. Thanks for doing that. Um, I, I came in with Aaron as a Democrat in 03, and then he left me. <laughs> uh, well, you can still exchange Christmas cards, uh, nothing else. The, uh, you, what, but, 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 but what's happening here is that, is, is that you are seeing in, in Texas, and, and again, with the guest worker uh, plank that was added to the Republican Party of Texas uh, platform recently, you're seeing a lot of moves in a very different, still a conservative direction, but a very different direction. Uh, and finally, uh, one thing, you know, on, on Cornyn, and, and by the way, I used to work with California Republicans, so as a Texas, Demo you know, you as a Texas Democrat, I feel your pain. You know, it's, 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 it's tough. But, uh, you know, Cornyn is, is, and I'm certainly not going to make a Cornyn fan out of you, but I will tell you this, uh, John Cornyn, Senator Cornyn, uh, is actually, uh, to my mind, a voice of reason, at least in the Republican Party uh, on this issue. I have been there and seen him talk specifically about 
one of the, you know, what I consider a, a bit of the, one of the fringier issues on the conservative side, which is the issue of whether the 14th Amendment confers birthright citizenship. Uh, I happen to think that it does, and that's been the interpretation of the Congress for about a century now. Uh, and I've seen Corn in question on that, and he has vigorously and un unambiguously affirmed uh, that in fact it does, and I think that's good policy, and I think that speaks well to him. But, I mean, well, Senator, I but Senator Cornyn backed out of supporting the DREAM Act. After he had publicly said that he would support it, he backed out of supporting it. Um, and that well, that's not a birthright issue, though. Well, oh, I thought you were talking, about, talking about the 14th Amendment. And, right. Sure. It's, I mean, you certainly have Republicans who are against birthright citizenship and have come out aggressively against it. But he's, but, but he's a voice for it, as, as am I and as are sure. the majority. Sure. But yes, you, you also acknowledge that he was for the DREAM Act and then he was against it. Uh, I'll have to take your work, but I actually don't know his history on that. He was. So. Okay. And I disagree. I mean, here in Texas, I mean, if we just look at the last legislative session when we have sanctuary cities as an emergency item, I, I do think the Texas right. GOP is following the National uh, Republican Party. I think there, another evidence point would be that the State Dream Act, which passed, that addresses in-state tuition, um, passed in 2001 with nearly unanimous support in the legislature that wouldn't happen today. Oh, right. right. That, would, that would never pass yeah. today. You could never get that through the Republican legislature today. And they've uh, attempted the last three sessions to undo that. Right. Right. So how so how do we explain that at the Texas level? Well, I mean, it, it's explicable. I mean, you shouldn't say they've tried to because they they we the Republicans. I mean, we've been in, in charge basically in, in in Austin. You know, both the you know, supermajority in the in the House and, and, and a majority in the Senate. Uh, it, it doesn't. There, there is a group, a meaningful group, that has tried to get that overturned, but they haven't succeeded. And they haven't succeeded because they haven't carried the party with them yet. And that's so. It's. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't characterize the RPT, which is the same RPT, by the way, that has had the influx of Hispanic office holders, and the same RPT that has added the guest worker plank, which is a big deal on the conservative side, uh, as a monolith on this issue. There's a debate underway, and you know we'll see how it turns out. I, mean, I think if you look at, uh, you know, the nominee Ted Cruz for Senate, uh, very far to the right. Rick Perry, especially after he went through the presidential elections, very far to the right. I suspect that Dan Patrick in the state Senate will probably run for some statewide office. If he's able to win, you will essentially have a triumvirate of Republicans who are quite extreme. Uh, and so that, that, I think that's going to be very difficult in the coming years for Republicans to balance because they're essentially alienating moderate pro-business Republicans and leaving a lot on the table, quite frankly, for Democrats. Representative Torres, you might be in the state Senate uh, next session. Do you, what do you think? It's going to take a lot of, a lot of helping people come to grips with, with the issues. I, I, talking to some other representatives on other issues, there's, a lot, there's people up there that are not as well informed as legislators as perhaps they should be on an issue because there's so many issues at stake. So I think with the proper outreach, the proper communications, people can come to a better understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about these issues. And for a lot of people that have not lived it, haven't walked a mile in our shoes, it's hard for them to understand them on a personal level. And so I'll make it my goal to help them better understand these issues, and hopefully uh, out of that will come good policy. That's great. You can also be in charge of the resurgent bipartisan spirit in the legislature. Um, Let's go back to uh, questions. Uh, thank you. My name is Octavio Nojosa. I'm the executive director of a nonprofit here in Austin, uh, Hispanic Scholarship Consortium. And our mission is to support Hispanic students here in not only Central Texas, but statewide uh, in helping them become workforce leaders. If we take out the legal argument, the emotional argument, the constitutional argument, all the other arguments that we've been uh, here uh, hearing, and put forth the economic argument, I invite the panelists to please provide us with your pro and con economic argument as to why to support the DREAM Act or not. Given that Texas ranks 34th in college attainment, given that the state has a multi-billion dollar biannual deficit, and given that in the pipeline, in the state of Texas alone, we have 2.5 million students of Hispanic heritage, K through 12, who, uh, who we expect to, to educate. I will share with you the anecdotal evidence that this year our organization saw a multifold increase in the number of scholarship applicants, and I'm estimating that between 15-25% of our students who did not provide social security numbers are themselves dreamers. Thank you. I didn't understand the question. Uh, it was asking oh, for... Give me your economic argument for supporting the DREAM Act or against the DREAM Act. Uh, Josh, do you want to start? Uh, okay, well, I mean, if you want to look at it on, on a strict balance sheet and keeping in mind that none of the numbers are, are, are that solid, uh, you know, I think that, the, that there are the arguments 
the arguments for normalizing, and I won't just restrict it to so-called dreamers, but the entire population. I mean, when you look at the U.S. Census data of what the difference is uh, for a Hispanic male, which I'm going to treat as a, a synonym for, for an immigrant male, not the same, but, but this is as good data as we have. Uh, the difference between a four-year degree and no four-year degree over 20 years of earnings is, a, is between 700,000 and $1 million. So if you want to look at it in terms of, of, of pure entrepreneurial potential, pure earning potential, and pure tax-paying potential, then yeah, it does make sense to have uh, these individuals in our economy producing, working, et cetera. Now, the flip side of that, and I don't have numbers on this, and I'm not actually sure anybody does have good numbers, I mean, there are numbers that exist, is you know, what do individuals take up in terms of social services and, and, and uh, you know, education dollars and hospital dollars and all that? And, and there are estimates, but nobody really knows. I mean, nobody, no, nobody really gets that. Now, my suspicion, is that on aggregate, if you have an individual who's working and you have an individual who's participating in the economy, whether at a high level or a low level, so whether they're a multimillionaire business owner or they are you know, cleaning houses, uh, equally honorable work, uh, that that individual is likely a net contributor to the economy. Uh, America, historically, for any, for any group of people, be it Hispanics, be it you know, Italians, Russians, whomever, uh, has always operated on the premise uh, that, that an individual who's willing to work and willing to come to the United States and be part of this country is going to be a net benefit to the country. Now, we've, you know, we've had bumps along the way, and everybody here in this auditorium likely knows uh, what those bumps are. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's, it's, it's been taken as a net benefit. That gamble has typically worked out uh, in the United States, and so I don't see, from an economic standpoint, why it wouldn't here. Now, that being said, this isn't just an economic question. This is also a rule of law question. This is also a cultural question, and so these are things that really have to be addressed uh, with, I, I think, equal weight. And, and there are ways to do it, and hopefully you know, this panel's part of finding that solution. Any other economic arguments, particularly? Yeah, no. Oh, go ahead. Yes, yeah. go ahead. No, um, I agree. I mean, I think it's a net benefit to our state when you have students that you're educating and said we don't have the numbers, but they're going to, their salaries are going to increase, the tax base is going to increase, they become homeowners, they, they, they add to the revenue of our state, and as, I, as you mentioned, we continue to face a multi-billion dollar deficit, and so this, I think they would help our state's economy. Economically, mm -hmm. if, if we don't get this right, Texas will have a human capital shortage. We being the dominant growth population in the state, and we're growing by the day, if we don't get the education right, if we don't get the job skills, career technology right, Texas industry will not have the human capital, the hard workers, to sustain itself and continue to grow further into the 21st century. That's the impact that I see. And that's why this issue is important to people like myself who look toward the future and, and we know what, what it's going to take. It, the numbers just have are, are just, you just add them up. And so that's why we have to get this right. And that's why everybody needs to come to the table, lay every, all the politics aside about, is this a good political move? Is this the right timing? Let's really get to the solution and find a better Dream Act that everybody can, that, that's in the legislature or in Congress, I'm sorry, can, can, can support because it's going to make our country stronger in, in, at the end, especially our state. Um, let me just uh, say at this point, we've got about five minutes left till the end, so we have a question here. If anyone wants to ask a last question, please come to the mics now. Um, otherwise, we'll do this question and then we'll ask you guys for any final thoughts or things we should leave the audience with. Hi, I'm Deborah Danberg, and um, I would like to respectfully request that uh, Representative Torres kind of clarify a little bit about what your position is on this. Um, what I'm hearing is that you're kind of allowing the perfect to be the enemy of the good. Uh, it's kind of like back when we had slavery days, if, if we would have said, okay, here's a bill that would let the house slaves become full citizens, but not the outside agricultural slaves, wouldn't that be a step toward betterment, even though it would certainly not be justice and not be enough? And what I'm hearing you say is because it doesn't include workers and because it doesn't include certain other categories, the DREAM Act is inadequate and therefore you're opposed to it. I'm wondering, would you be in favor of it if it did include everybody? And what are you doing to expand that so that everybody can get a path to that productivity? Well, first of all, I'm not in Congress, so what I really think I'm sure they don't care about. But what I, what I will say is that I believe we, do, we need to find the right language that the, that the Congress can 
feel comfortable with, live with and that the president can live with, whoever the president is at the time, so that we can get this issue off and move on to other important issues that we have, much greater issues facing our nation. Do you, maybe another way to, to uh, ask that kind of question is, given that the two of you seem to have some conflicting intuitions about this version uh, of an approach to the DREAM Act, if Romney were elected, would you like to see this policy lapse um, or would you leave it in place, ideally, until some broader reform is achieved? For me, it's not my call. Uh, it's up to the president, what he thinks is the right decision as president, and then I'll look forward to whatever it is that he's gonna put forth. It's not he, my call either, but I'm gonna have an opinion on it. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely let it lapse. Uh, I mean, no, no question about that. I mean, these, uh, and again, just like we said at the beginning, just like I said at the beginning, whatever one thinks of the policy, even if you agree with it fully, this is not how Barack Obama has implemented it, how President Obama has implemented it, is not the proper way to do it. This is a question that desperately needs democratic legitimacy, and that is, that, that is uh, what is missing in the president's executive order, and it will continue to be missing until the executive order is allowed to lapse, the laws constituted is executed, and then it is changed in accordance with constitutional norms. Okay, great. So if anyone else has... Right. Yes. Just the yay or nay. If somebody introduced, reintroduced Reagan's immigration bill, yay or nay? Uh, I mean, I think we'd, we'd have to see I the specifics I would say yay. That's how I became... <laughs> I mean, the bill that was passed under Ronald Reagan is I don't know the language, so I don't hear. Right, that was the bill under which I became a legal permanent resident and a citizen, so I would say yay. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of, of the representative being a fellow American, but, but, but well, I mean, I mean, but no, no, in, in, in all seriousness, but, but, but it's, to, to answer your question, that, that bill that, that, that Tip O'Neill and Reagan uh, collaborated on, and I believe it was 86, uh, the 86 amnesty, uh, that bill was, was flawed because the whole package of legislation was not, in fact, passed. So if you're talking about the entire package as intended, which included border security and it included a much more comprehensive, longer-term solution to the immigration, pro immigration problem, then I would say, yay, but as it was, that one piece of it uh, didn't do more than, than, than make a blip. So some straddling defense. There we go. Okay, great. Um, any final thoughts from you guys? Anything you want to leave this audience knowing for sure? Thank you for being a great host. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right, thanks for being here. Thank you guys.